0: Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions, brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality.
1: And welcome back to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic from the business owner's or executives' perspective, we aren't necessarily telling you what decision to do to make, but we can put you in a position to make an informed decision on your own, and understand when you might need help along the way. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Ware and Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alfreda, Georgia, which is where we are recording today. Brady Ware is sponsoring this podcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator, and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. So today we're going to discuss humor in the workplace and injecting humor into a workplace culture. And I'm sure everybody who is listening to this podcast is thinking, well, you work for a CPA firm. That's a perfect place to start talking about humor in the workplace, because obviously we sort of (laughs) yuck it up all day long. We're just known for that. Although... In in our defense, I will point out that uh, I, probably my favorite, certainly the top three comedians, Bob Newhart, actually started his career as a CPA. Um, obviously, the entertainment gig did very well by him, but uh, accountants do, do produce funny people at least once in a generation. So so it can happen. Um, but you know, I, I think this topic is is so important and and so interesting. We're learning more about the state of mental health in the workplace. And we're learning more about, and this is related to to so-called work-life balance. And we're learning about, you know, the pressure that we're under is we're, we're always under increasing pressure to, to kind of do more with less. And, you know, we're, we're hearing more about, you know, people, frankly, kind of struggle to adapt to that. And, and we struggle to adapt to that, whether you're a line worker, whether you're a cashier, whether you're middle management, whether you're executive management, whether you're the owner of the business, <clears throat> there is always something out there that is going to challenge you mentally. And most of us, myself included, feel like there's uh, something out there every hour to, to challenge us mentally. And it can lead to places that are, uh, you know, that are humorless, places to work and places that are humorous places to work as our guest is going to discuss are neither pleasant nor very effective workplaces. Um, And, and, and there's a fine line and maybe not so fine line. We're going to find out that, you know, just because you, you have a sense of humor and there's a sense of humor and humor in the business culture that does not mean that you don't take your job seriously. You know, for example, Southwest Airlines is known for encouraging their employees and you go on a Southwest flight, right? Some of those flight attendants could easily be stand-up comedians and maybe they are when they're not actually on a flight. Um, But I'm also confident that they take flight safety uh, very seriously because they all want to make it, they all want to make it home. Um, But I think there's a mis, there's a misperception. And in my industry, I think, Particularly if you're old school, you, you want to create this image of being sort of the buttoned down, um, uh, very serious person because you're talking about finance, you're talking about money, you're talking about uh, financial stability and solvency. <clears throat> and, you know, for some clients, maybe that's right. For others, maybe it's not. So um, I think we're going to have a lot of fun. I think there's a lot to learn from this topic today. And joining us today is an expert on this topic um from beautiful san diego so in contrast to atlanta what is currently 38 uh 38 and raining and overcast about three layers of clouds um uh, let me just take a guess it's 78 and well it's it's 9 a.m there so it's probably about 72 and sunny there
0: well it's not quite that warm i mean it's chilly here. It's
1: probably 64. Okay. Well, hopefully you can throw a sweater on. You'll be able to pull through it. So Karen is founder of the Humor Lab and the Humor Lab is dedicated to serving high performers who have gone from good to great and now want to go from great to world class with the use of strategic humor. Karen Buxman is a research-based thought leader on applied humor whose latest undertakings are her TEDx talk How Humor Saved the World and her upcoming Forbes book Funny Makes Money. Strategic humor for influence and world domination. As a neurohumorist, Karen's career resides at the intersection of humor and the brain. She is is masterfully funny, but her passion and calling are sharing the practical benefits of humor. Karen is one of 194 professionals and one of only 43 women in the world to be inducted into the Speaker Hall of Fame. Karen speaks internationally to organizations that grasp the important role that humor plays in business, health, and life. Among her over 800 clients over 25 years are Genentech, State Farm, now a an Atlanta-based company, U, the i am sorry—the um, U.S. Department of Agriculture, Cigna, and the Million Dollar Roundtable. Karen, thanks so much for coming on the program. Mike,
0: I'm so excited to be here with you. <laughs> so, Karen, I've
1: got—I've got to ask one question right off the bat. I'm tearing up the script, but I know you can handle it. What are the speeches like? At the International Speaker Hall of Fame, when somebody gives an induction speech at the Speaker Hall of Fame, what are they like?
0: You know, I have to say it's it's really kind of a a weird situation because it, I, let me let me put it this way: how many speakers does it take to change a light bulb? Yeah, you know, a hundred. One to change a light bulb, and ninety-nine to sit in the audience, going, "That should be me up there on the stage." And that's, <laughs> That's kind of how it is, you know, with, with the Hall of Fame. But but it's wonderful. It, it, this is, I think, that's one of one of the the accomplishments that I most treasure because you know it's one thing when your when your mom or your spouse says, "Oh my gosh, you're the best thing since Velcro," but when your peers say that, um, that that is that's very very rewarding. So I feel very honored to have, to have received that uh, that award.
1: Yeah, I can so, imagine that,
0: that recognition.
1: Where where are they located?
0: Um, well, the National Speakers Association is actually a global um, organization. And the headquarters are, are located in Tempe, uh, part of uh, Phoenix in Arizona.
1: Oh, okay. Very good. So next time I go to Phoenix, I, I can visit and see your plaque and your induction speech and all that, I guess.
0: Yeah, you know, and, and I have this little statue. It's kind of like the Oscars. Sweet. Oh, and so that's, sitting on my one of my shelves. And so yeah, you know, but not to take it too seriously, quite and don't tell the headquarters I did this because they would probably be <laughs> a gog. But um there I found online these little um outfits that you could get for wine bottles to to dress them up, you know, kind of like uh oh I guess there was one for weddings and there was one for various kinds of holidays, a Santa outfit or a or a 4th of July outfit that you could put on a wine bottle to gift it and it fits my statue perfectly so periodically we dress it up.
1: <laughs> well good and we both know how hard it can be to find something that fits off the rack so that that works out well.
0: Exactly.
1: <laughs> um so you you categorize yourself as a uh, as as a neurohumorist. What what is that? Yes.
0: A neurohumorist is one who lives at the intersection of humor and the brain. Um, I have been researching the field of humor within the field of psychoneuroimmunology and positive psychology for 30 years. And over the last decade, I've really delved deep into humor and the effects on the brain and vice versa. And it's just amazing. It really was. It was like the missing piece. And so much of what I have discovered in the last couple of years uh, is what I think makes this so pertinent for you and for your listeners, because really so much of the interactions um, with your, your listeners and your executives, these are the things that are brain-based and it really helps us get a better understanding of why we behave like we do and why others respond to us like they do and how can we influence that. And so the brain pieces is, is something that people, you know, up until now had not really looked at what is the relationship between humor and the brain. But this is the sweet spot. This is really the sweet spot. And so the people who are listening to us today, both of them, um, <laughs> uh, you know, they're they're going to be we had a spike information that is very cutting edge. This is this gives them a, a competitive edge, even.
1: So are you are you teaching leaders of the Genentechs and State Farms of the world then? you know, how to, how to be funny. Are, are there, I don't know who their CEOs are, but, um, you know, are they now qualified to do, to do stand up? or what, what does that, what does that look like?
0: I'm so happy you asked that. Um, because this is the biggest misconception that when I'm teaching people or encouraging people to leverage the power of humor, that what I'm really, talking about is entertainment. How do you get other people to laugh? And that is not the case. Um, What I've identified are three purposes of humor. And the first purpose of humor is entertainment. And that's the one that everybody knows and is familiar with. And when our purpose is entertainment, we measure our success By laughter. But there's two other purposes. One of the purposes is influence, and the other is well being. And just in your intro, when you were talking, I thought, oh man, boom, boom, both of those are relevant to our listeners today. And so, with influence, we don't measure the success of humor and influence by laughter, we measure it by the quality of the relationships that we have. And with well-being, we measure the success of applied humor by the the levels of, of health and wellness within areas you know that are physical, psychological, social, and even spiritual. So it's this power of humor when you apply it. I mean when you apply humor to business, you can create success. When you apply it and and profitability, when you apply it to education, you can create um, more knowledge. When you apply it to health, we can create well-being. When you apply humor to uh, an individual situation, we can create even intimacy. And when we apply it to a group, we can create community. And so it goes so far beyond being funny, which is great because when I'm talking to high performers, one of the top three pushbacks I get is, what if I'm not funny? And I say, great, <laughs> because you don't have to be funny, which I now, you know, a, a bunch of the accountants are going, oh, my God, thank God. But you're so right on. I mean, you know, oh, my gosh, Bob Newhart, he, he just makes me laugh so hard I cry. And if there is anyone listening, who has not ever listened to um, the the piece on Bob Newhart um, as the psychologist who's trying to help a woman stop her OCD habits and phobias. It's just, it's fall down hysterical. So, so you know, here we go. We're not trying to be funny. We're trying to see funny. We're trying to raise our awareness, raise our appreciation of humor so that we can experience it more. And in so doing, now we recognize and can leverage opportunities of humor um, so that we can use those in our efforts to be more persuasive, be more informative, be more... uh, relatable, all of those kinds of things, and so for everyone listening today, here's a big takeaway: you don't have to be the humor initiator; you can be the humor appreciator, and you can still gain the benefits of humor in furthering your success.
1: Well, look, and even if you if you think about entertainment, right? I mean, you know, Dean Martin and Ed McMahon did pretty well being the straight guys, right? Yeah.
0: Yes, yes. And when you recognize the the power of humor and to leverage humor, you can leverage other people's humor. You don't have to be the funny person. Um, you can you can leverage your client's humor. You can leverage humor that has to do with your environment. You can leverage humor that's going on in the news. There's all different ways that you can use that without ever having to say something funny yourself. Although, I will say, you, if you practice appreciating humor on a regular basis, most people will get funnier. I mean, you, you just you can't help it. Here's, here's, a, here's a quick, quick, quick little story. Um, because I do entertain audiences, I mean, from 10 to 10,000 plus around the planet. And I do make people laugh. And I had a gentleman come up to me after one of my presentations and he said, oh my gosh, were you always this funny? And nobody had ever asked me that before. And I thought, uh, yeah, I guess so. But a couple of months later, I I, uh, went back home. I met with my mom and I said, hey, mom, by the way, was I always funny? And she looked at me and kind of cocked her head thoughtfully. And then she said, no, no. And and my mouth dropped open. She said, you were always the one with the sunny disposition. And at first, I was a little taken aback. But then I got excited because what I realized was that because of my research and because I was so excited about the benefits, I was willing to practice more humor. I was willing to take a few more risks because the benefits outweighed the risks. And I became funnier in the process. And so I think that others can also go down this path of of appreciating humor, studying humor, experiencing humor, and eventually they could be funny too if they desire. Not everybody wants to be funny.
1: So let me me share with you an experience we had in our firm. So when I joined Bradyware, uh, because I'm a geek and I work in the really quant jock area of our firm, I decided that we would celebrate Pi Day, which is which is of course March thirteenth March 14th. And we celebrated promptly at 1.59 PM and twenty seven seconds. Right? The I first love it. right. <laughs> and so the first day we did, I ran out and I bought a bunch of pies. We all had a bunch of pies and that was fine. This year, you know, I I was told we have a, a fun committee. Okay. So I, I went nothing says more fun than a committee, but anyway, I went to the I went to the committee and I said, Hey, we're gonna do this pie day. Do you want to do thing different? And they said, you know, <clears throat> what we really like to do is we would like to throw pies at the partners. And I said, okay, well, if you can convince the other partners and partners are in, I am in. Now, the partners, <laughs> to the partners' uh, credit, they all readily said, "Yeah, I am in." Now, none of them, I think, are people that necessarily. I mean, some of them can crack a joke. otherwise others are are more <clears throat> not not the joke crackers. But you know, everybody stood up there and took their took their pie lumps for about fifteen minutes or so. And oh, I think gosh. you can predict what what the morale impact on the company was from that exercise. We didn't say a joke. We didn't do anything that was funny, but we let ourselves be part of a gag. We let ourselves be the, the target of a gag. Oh, I oh my gosh, you've just
0: opened the number one, that is Awesome. That is an incredible story. And, and two, let's just, let's break this down. If, can we unpack this for a minute? That's why I
1: brought it up. We're just going to tear up the script. Oh, this may be okay. a three-parter.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So here's, here's <clears throat> something, let's unpack this a little bit um, because one it's, you know, I think it's, we also celebrate pie day. And then there was ultimate pie day, which was 3.14.15, you know? And it was like, uh, you know we're we're kind of geeky around that as well, but you in allowing your people to be the recipients of the humor um, you you allowed them to be the recipients of the humor, and in so doing um now they have shown a little bit of vulnerability, and in that vulnerability, this is where we create. Um, trust equity, trust equity. Because you know, earlier we were talking about brains, and with brains, um, there's we have a state when we are we are leaning toward an individual, when we are connecting with an individual, when our brain chemicals um, are are in a toward state of connection. This is something that, that facilitates relationship, rapport, bonding. But when our brains are in an away state, when when our norepinephrine is going up and when our cortisol is going up and when our dopamine is is going down and serotonin is going down and, and all these other connecting hormones and proteins, um, this is when we call this an away state. And when we're in an away state, it can be a low-level stressor. It can be a fear. It can be you know, our brains. Are, the purpose of our brains are to protect us, and so it's always looking for threat. And you guys may not want to hear this, but but you know somebody who is in the in the field of managing people's money, you automatically put someone's brain in a threat state. I, I would say anybody who handles someone's money or somebody's body. You are working with a clientele whose brain is in an away state, a threat state. How do you reverse that? Because if the brain is in an away state and, and the person's amygdala is hijacked, you know, you're not going to be able to inform them. You're not going to be able to help them. You're not going to be able to persuade them to the degree that you could if they were in a toward state. And humor creates that towards state. And so what you did in so doing this exercise was you, the people who allowed someone to throw pies at them, they're, they're showing in a humorous way some vulnerability. And other people look at that and say, wow, that person is a little bit vulnerable and that means i am safer and so this this isn't even at a conscious level but anybody who would learn about this as a as a client or as a potential client or customer that helps create that toward state and in so doing even among the team now we've created a toward state so that people are connecting more the the um morale improves the connectedness improves and uh, for so many reasons, you facilitated that and you probably didn't even intentionally know that that was going to be the outcome. But here's the great thing. Now you do. And with great power comes great responsibility, Mike. So now you want to look for other opportunities to create that toward state intentionally because that's that's what strategic humor is about. It's humor
1: by choice, not by chance. Yeah, so... Um, well, kudos to you. Well, uh, thank you. I, you. know, It's it's actually not that hard to have a python in your face. So uh, if, I, if I can put that on my LinkedIn as a skill, I will. Um, mm. But I... I, I uh, so let me ask... So the second part to this then is there is debate as to whether or not we we're going to post the pictures and videos on social media. We decided to do that. Did we do the right thing or wrong thing there?
0: Um, It depends. I would say, yes, I would say it's the right thing to do. And I will say that there have been other professions who have posted similar um, kinds of situations. And occasionally, they get some pushback. But here's what I would say. I have identified seven building blocks that are fundamental to successful humor in terms of influence. Um, and, and those seven are bond, environment, authenticity, safety, distance, and that's both temporal and geographical, content and delivery. But the very first one, bond, is is one that is so important and one that people often... Um, misunderstand. And, And what you're asking actually has to do with the first one, bond, and the second one, environment. So let's look at this. In terms of bond, the question is, did this move trust equity forward with the people that you were sharing it with? And my guess is yes, with your target audience, with your avatar, with the people that you know and that know you, the biggest mistake that people make when they share humor is to not understand the relationship between themselves and the person they're sharing the humor with. And our brains are designed as such that that times we um, misunderstand or we misperceive how alike we really are. It's like, oh, well, you know, I'm in Atlanta. He's in Atlanta. We both like the same sports team. So we probably vote for the same person. Well, well, that's not a good assumption. And, you know, we probably like the same kind of humor, same kind of thing, not necessarily safe to assume. But the more you know your audience, And the, and the kind of the longer period of time, the more trust equity you've built up, um, the riskier humor you can be, but I'm going to say on bond, I'm going to say yes, that with your avatar, that would be, um, totally appropriate in terms of environment. The question is, has your humor been shared with anybody who is outside (laughs) of your circle outside of your group of trust? And with social media, that's harder to to control because not only can you share it with your group, but they can share it to others outside your group. Um, I'm going to say still this is benign enough because if we go to the building block of safety, could anybody have been physically or emotionally hurt? You know, there's, there's a small chance that somebody could have been hurt with a pie in the face. You know, it's like, oh, well. What if the the you know they left the aluminum part of it on and that hit somebody you right. know, on their skin or in their somebody arsenal.
1: hit you with a frozen chicken pot pie that would not turn out as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know there's some you know and but you know could anybody be felt feel bullied or embarrassed? You know, well there's a there's a possibility, but it still feels pretty low if they voluntarily um, stepped up. Pardon the pun to the plate to the pie plate. Um so with all of those things, I'm gonna say that the benefits would outweigh the risk. You know, if somebody's offended, why would they be offended? Because, you know, there's some kind of a, a secret organization that is anti pie in the face. I mean, I can't really even think of it. You know, there's gonna be some that are like, Oh my gosh, is that really professional? And again, those people have the misunderstanding somewhere along the way We confused professionalism with solemnness. I'm not sure where that happened, because we have leaders who are tremendously um, influential, who are incredibly professional, uh, who are looked upon in the highest regard. You look at, you know, Churchill, you look at Gandhi, you look at, at President Kennedy and Reagan. I mean, there's Lincoln. All these people were recognized as as influential leaders and professional, and and yet they had an amazing sense of humor. So I think that what you did was awesome.
1: So um, where where is that line in your mind, or is there a line between you know humor and and crossing that line to? undermining your credibility is there some meter or some scale where you know you're you're, you're trying to be too yuck yuck and therefore it's going to make a little bit you know you don't do, do you necessarily as you're being wheeled in for brain surgery do you necessarily want do you necessarily want a knock knock joke out of the, the people in the operating room or you know maybe i mean <clears throat> maybe you do because it'll take some of the tension off before they drill in your head i'm not sure but can can you go too far with it
0: This is such a great question, and this is why I'm guaranteed, um, you know, enough work for my lifetime. There is a line, but it's not a stationary line. That line is moving, and it is, is moving based on those seven building blocks. And I actually have devised a tool where when I'm working with groups or when I'm, I'm consulting with someone, we take these situations and we actually break them down. We quantify each of these seven steps so that people can begin to get a feel for where is that line? Because sometimes we intuitively know it. Sometimes we misjudge it. Um, and when you do cross that line or fall over that line, you you want to pick yourself back up, and then you want to examine what happened. If someone was offended, um, you want to address that with them, and then you want to learn from it and do it again. Uh, you want to adjust. It's a scientific process. You know, you you create your hypothesis, you you put in, into place an action. And then you observe, you obsess what, assess, what was the result of that action? And then you adjust and you repeat. And so these are the kinds of things in terms of that moving line. But I mean, we all know the person who recognized that, oh, humor is a good thing. So we're going we're gonna to use more humor. And then they just become obnoxious because they try to be humorous or funny all the time. You know, I, we t- I mentioned earlier that one of the pushbacks I get is, "What if I'm not funny?" A second concern that I hear is, "You know, well, what if everybody's goofing off? We'll never get anything done around here." And here's the here's the key to this the the key to this is you need to have intentionally your your goal, your desired outcome, your standards, and then you also set the tone for humor. And and here's why, because if you if you set you pair the two, you pair the two. Because if you only set the the tone for high performance and hard work and, and high aspirations, and that's that's all that you do, eventually people assume that the philosophy at work is firings will continue until morale improves if you only set the tone for humor without having um, a high benchmark for performance, then it becomes animal house. And if, if anybody here is listening to this and doesn't know the reference to animal house and John Belushi, go look that up on YouTube. But when you pair the two, now you have high expectations for per performance and you have set the tone for humor. And now people have a better guideline of of where to go, but for leaders to actually mentor their, their followers, their colleagues, their coworkers, their clients, their students, their family, to, to mentor others on the appropriate use of humor so that you leverage it and get the most benefits from it, um, I think is really to be in a sweet
1: spot. So let, let, let's dig into this. What, um, <clears throat> You know, we have talked around this a little bit, but I want to make sure that we hit this hard because it's it really is the heart of the of the topic, which is, you know, what what benefits can I expect by creating a a is it fair to call it a humor centric, if you will, business culture? And I you know, I think that's important because one of the things about humor is that there is risk. Um there is risk to humor. Yeah. Um, which is one yeah. of the reasons we admire people who do it well. And if there's risk, there's got to be some return on the other end. So, you know, for companies that, that you've helped um, or have, have tried to help, you know, what what is the carrot that makes it worth the risk of adopting or integrating humor into the culture?
0: Oh, that's a great question. Um, and I have identified 10 habits of high-performance humor. And one of those habits is risk management. And quite frankly, Most of the listeners are in some form of risk management. And, you know, you want to look at particularly the seven building blocks that I spoke of and understand how to really embrace those and practice those so that you lower your risk. I think that if you really understand those seven building blocks, you embrace them, you practice them, I think you um, reduce your risk. Down to as low as 1%. Um, you, you know, there's always going to be the, the oddball who comes in with their own agenda and their own uh, backpack filled with all of their complaints and, and concerns. And it doesn't matter how carefully you tiptoe, um, it doesn't matter even if you're not using humor, they're going to find something to be offended about. Um, so the, the risks I think are are worthy of noting, and you really do need to include risk management. But in terms of benefits, um, physiological, psychological, social, all of these things, in terms of executives who are listening, I think one of the most exciting benefits that we've identified now is the cognitive capacity. Um, the fact is that cognitive capacity, which is is more or less a snapshot, of your cognitive ability at any given time. Um, it, it, we can increase cognitive capacity. And, and here's how that works. Humor is the connecting of two um, ideas that are, are not alike, that are disconnected. And when we connect those two disconnected thoughts, we create neuroplasticity. We're creating new pathways in our brain, and this creates a cascade effect because when we connect the disconnected dots and we create this neuroplasticity, which creates a a higher level of cognitive ability, this in turn results in a higher level of problem solving, which in effect allows uh, an executive, particularly your Your CEO um, level—they're the visionaries. They're the ones that need to have that cognitive capacity that is so high that they can forecast into the future. Um, When we did uh, brain um, studies on um, on people who were experiencing humor, one of the things that my colleague Dr. Lee Burke, who is a leading researcher up in Loma Linda, discovered was that the brain pattern that we see is inclusive of gamma waves and the gamma wave pattern, which we've only been able to measure with digital technology, which has been um, created in the last decade or so. This is the same gamma wave pattern that we see in people who practice deep meditation and deep mindfulness. And people may say, well, so what? Well, you know, who here couldn't use more focus who couldn't use a little more uh, productivity who couldn't use a little more creativity. Now I know for people in accounting, you don't want to get too wild and crazy with the creativity. Oh, we
1: could use more. Believe me.
0: (laughs) But these are the benefits cognitively. Um, You know, one of the things that you mentioned in the intro was, you know, this, this can be wearing and tearing, on somebody, this, this field that you're in, in terms of, you know, financial, the financial world, whether it's an accounting or financial management or whatever, um, area that someone may be in, if they experience any kind of stress, what we have found is that short-term humor is an amazing coping ability. It's a healthy coping mechanism. And when practiced consistently and over time, we find that we can build resilience, and so who in this field wouldn't want to benefit from that? Um, socially, we we benefit from bonding, whether that's with our customer and our client, or whether it's our colleagues, our families, our friends. Um, we find that it also is raising levels of emotion so that for people who are experiencing depression, we can move them up the emotional scale so that eventually they could achieve happiness, you know, at least for periods of time. Well, I think that's very exciting. Who wouldn't like a little more happiness? And then of course, there's all of the financial benefits that we can recognize because in a sales process, um, you know, when we get people in a toward brain state, um, people make their purchases Based on emotions, logic tells, but emotion sells. You, you can give them all sorts of data, but unless there is some kind of an emotional hook, they're probably going to continue to shop around and get more information until they find that emotional hook to buy. And, you know, so I would ask who's in sales and maybe one or two people raise their hand. No, we're all in sales. Whether you're trying to sell an idea, sell a concept, sell your services, so you know, a, a negotiate a bedtime with a 5-year-old. Oh my gosh, 5-year-olds are like the, the most intense negotiators on the planet.
1: I How think negotiating the Vietnam economy? peace accord was easier than the five negotiating the typical bedtime with a 5-year-old.
0: Isn't that the truth? Henry Kissinger <laughs> probably had
1: a very hard time getting his kids to bed and that literally prepared him for Vietnam.
0: Isn't that so? Isn't that so? So we're all in sales. We just, most people don't realize it. And so humor helps with that. You know, it helps with, for those in positions of, of leadership. You know, when you read Cialdini's book on influence and persuasion, you know, one the number one influencer that he, he lists is likability. All things being equal, people would rather do business with someone that they find fun, that they find likable, that they find enjoyable. And so these are the things that we can, um, these are some of the, the few reasons that people would want to start incorporating more humor into their work environment, into their corporate culture, because um, they're going to find so many of these benefits come their way when they practice it intentionally and consistently, those are two key factors that are really, really important to get the benefits.
1: So good. So let's then drill down to the next step. I'm, I'm listening to this podcast and I decide that my company would benefit from having more humor integrated into its culture. What, what, what at a high level, what are the steps to that look like?
0: Um, I would encourage people first just to really assess where they are on the scale of both humor appreciation and humor application. I developed an assessment called the humor quotient or HQ. We've heard of IQ, EQ. This is HQ. And um, I'll give you the, the thumbnail version of this and then for people who would like to learn more about it. There is a download we can tell them about at the, at the end of this, at the end of this um, uh, conversation that we're having. Um, And the humor quotient measures, again, your, your appreciation on a scale of one to 10. Um, How easily can you find amusement that um, results in a smile um, a laugh or feelings of enjoyment. And then on a scale of one to ten, how um, readily and how frequently do you apply humor toward a desired outcome intentionally and consistently over time? And And we have a, a you know a, a questionnaire that goes into a little more detail than that. But first, just get a picture of where you are, and understand a little bit about that, and where there are areas for improvement. I have found that one of the most important steps is is the appreciation, because what I started out doing in this process was teaching people how to apply humor, realizing that they didn't have an appreciation of humor enough to even understand and recognize where those opportunities were for the application. And so, you know, I have a a process that I take people through. But first of all, I would say manipulate, excuse me, manipulate your mindset. Ask yourself, you know, are you finding and experiencing the humor that's around you? Now, I'll tell you, some people are thinking to themselves, well, she doesn't understand. There's nothing funny in my life. There's nothing funny about my work. There's, you know, my family's not funny. My coworkers aren't funny. There's nothing funny. And I will tell you right now, if that is your belief, that is your reality. Because I'm going to tell you, there's humor abundant around you the majority of the time. And again, this goes back to our brain process of recognizing it because there's a brain formation it's about the size of your finger and it's called the reticular activating system and when you tell your brain that you want to be aware of something this part of your brain is activated and it will start showing you more of that it's like you know I bought a yellow car and then you start looking out on the highway and all of a sudden you see all these yellow cars and you think oh my gosh where did these come from? I've never seen a yellow car out on the highway before. But your, your brain now is raising your awareness to be able to see those. So start looking for the humor around you, and you're going to find it on a more regular basis. Manipulate your mindset. Manipulate your environment is the second thing I would encourage people to do. And that is how can you increase the likelihood of experiencing more humor? What can you do to you know put in your environment so that you can have it readily available? Do you have humorous books or cues that's CUes cues, which are a reminder of, of lightening up. We My husband and I love Comic-Con, and anybody who's ever watched Big Bang Theory would would have heard of Comic-Con. It's this huge Nerdy conference, 140,000 people over four days here in San Diego, and uh, you know, cosplay and all that other stuff. But we love that. It makes us smile, it makes us laugh, it makes us feel good. And so, around our house, we have little things from Comic Con that when we see them, we feel better. How can you do that? You never have to be further than your phone to have humor at your disposal now. There's apps, there's websites, there's social media. I keep funny audio books. I, I um, bookmark funny videos. And as a last resort, here's a humor hack. Um, if you're in a bad mood, you Google laughing babies. It's like, there's, there's, go to YouTube, laughing babies. If you can't smile when you are watching laughing babies, or at least internally have that feeling of amusement, then you need to call me. (laughs) It's like, we need to work on this. This is an emergency situation. Because anybody with a healthy brain, because of your mirror neurons, you're going to find some amusement in that and you're going to feel better. But manipulating your mindset, manipulating your environment, finding an accountability partner. I have a partner and every day we have made a, a commitment to one another, that we're going to send something to one another. And here was the benefit that I didn't anticipate, but now I'm fully enjoying. Every morning, I spend 15 to 20 minutes looking for something that I know she will enjoy and that is appropriate for her. But now what I'm doing is I am starting my day framing it by looking for humor. Do you know how, how much that positively affects my, my mood and my outlook for the next part of my day. It's been a wonderful benefit for me. And I thought I was doing it for her. I still get the dopamine hit because I'm doing an act of kindness and paying it forward. But, but it's, it's really a a double benefit. I get to do something for her and for myself. And I think the last thing that I would tell people, and there's so much more, but but because of our, our time, I would tell them, uh, become a student of humor. That's it's another one of the humor habits is become a student of humor. This is a new field. It's an exploding field. And, you know, compared to other fields, it's really still very young in its existence. And there are magazines. There are books. There are organizations. Uh, there's a nonprofit organization. I have no financial ties to this organization. But the organization is called the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor, AATH.org. They have all different kinds of articles and resources on their website. I have lots of, um, of articles and resources and books and things that I would would love to share with people. But find a resource that works for you and study this and then practice it on a consistent basis. How does that sound? Does that resonate with you?
1: Yeah, and and you know, I, I love the part about um, you know becoming a a student of humor. I think if you observe and surround yourself with humor, that's how you can get that's how you can get good at it. Um, and, and if you don't have humor in your life, you don't know what it looks like. Um, and so that that makes perfect exactly. sense. So exactly. want to be respectful of your time because you're just starting your day out there in uh, in beautiful San Diego. If if somebody wants to learn more about Neurohumor and how to integrate it into their business strategically, how can they contact you?
0: Uh, I love connecting with people on social media. I, you know, reach out to me on LinkedIn. I, I think that in the show notes, you may be including some of this. I love connecting with professionals and high performers on LinkedIn and and the other areas of social media. Um, I, My website is KarenBuxman.com, but for those who would like to see uh, a sample, This is like, again, a sneak peek of the uh, book that will be coming out with Forbes Books um, fall 2020. Um, The book Funny Means Money, Strategic Humor for Influence and World Domination. We have a download of that available. And that also includes a further description of the humor quotient. Along with a, a lot of the other tools and things that we slightly touched on or didn't even begin to touch on. And that can be found at the web domain humor for me, the word humor, H U M O R F O R M E, humorforme.com. And uh, we, I would love for them to download that um, sample book, get more information, and then take it from there.
1: Well, good. Thank you so much. That's going to wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to thank Karen Buxman so much for joining us and sharing her expertise with us today. We'll be exploring a new topic each week, so please tune in so that when you're faced with your next executive decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. Once again, this is Mike Blake, our sponsor is Brady Ware & Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast.